first and ten. Now looking long. Down the field it goes. And it's right back to Valdez Scantling and a completion. I think you're going to get a motion right here. And you're going to all of a sudden get a quick snap, roll off to the side, and throw it to the flat. Is it there? It's a caught. Travis Kelsey with the touchdown. On the pocket. On the run. To the end zone. It's caught. On his back. Valdez Scantling. Here's Mahomes rolling out on third and four. He's going to go for the... Yes, he's got the marker. He's got the out-of-bounds to stop it. And Osai was hurt as he hit the bench. And a flag's coming in to put him 15 yards closer. Whoa! Burrow hit my ass! It's Mahomes out! Yeah. He's awfully good, that patch from Mahomes. Looking forward to Super Bowl 57. We are going to talk to Todd Furman in Vegas in about 35 minutes or so. He will join us today. And then, of course, next week and probably do a little bit of a deeper dive into the game next week. But we're still going to chat with uh, Todd coming up here in about 30. We will play McKnight at the movies later this hour. It's Carmen and Yurko. Hope everyone's having a great day. That throw to Scantling is the one. Uh, that, that was my favorite throw of, uh, of the weekend. It was the most impressive throw, I thought. That touchdown throw to MVS, Yurk. I mean... It's just it, it's everything that makes Patrick Mahomes special. It's uh, a quarterback with a lot of skill that got off of his first read and still found a way to escape a rush. Just a little slide step and a step up in the pocket. That's right. all it was. Yep. He wanted to go to Kelsey. Kelsey was split out left. It was split wide left. He looked at Kelsey. Kelsey was double teamed. He's off of that. Comes back. I mean, just, and then that throw, it was like 25 yards on a line. The arm strength. Side step, step forward. And that's beautiful. 25 yards on a line is not a difficult throw to make. And it wasn't necessarily perfectly on time. The receiver had to stop for it a little bit. Yeah. Yeah, well, he did. Stop for it a little bit, but it was clear enough for the defender. So it didn't make a difference. Right. The defender couldn't make a play on it. Just good. So it, it was exactly what it needed to be. It's all good. You don't have to lead him perfectly, or man, he was probably throwing it into a window mm-hmm. in between two. If I had to guess, I'm trying to remember the no, play was, right off. The, the receiver, was, the receiver was coming. He threw it a little off to his right, right instead of perfectly down the middle. It was a little off to his right. He made the throw a little bit behind, but the receiver stopped, made the grab. Yeah, the defender was behind him in a trail. It was in a trailing. Trail, yeah. I don't know if he had to sneak somebody, you know, somebody was on the other side. Right. Closing you know, playing like a deep half right. or something, closing the other way. And he felt like he needed to throw it exactly where he threw it. So the receiver had the best chance to catch. Just so good. Yeah. Uh, I had uh, our buddy Jacob Nitzberg and Stats and Research Nitzberg. look this up. Yeah, Jacob looked this up. Um, among quarterbacks to start at least 80 games in their careers, Yerk, that's how many games he started. Patrick Mahomes has now played five years. He's played 80 games. Among quarterbacks who started at least 80 games in their career, he has the highest career regular season winning percentage at 80%. The guy's won 80% of his games. The next closest is, it's not Tom Brady. Tom Brady's actually third. You'll never guess. Daryl LaMonica, 77% of number his three. games. That's Darryl right. LaMonica. Tom Brady, third all-time year coach, 70, we'll call it 75. I'm going to round up for Tom Terrific, 75%. 
So 80% of his games in 80 career starts, it's just kind of, it's crazy. And among all active players, his 192 touchdown passes through his first 80 starts are the most in the league. Next closest is Aaron Rodgers with 177. So a pretty big gap there. And then he's second amongst all active players in their first 80 career starts in quarterback rating. Only Aaron Rodgers had a slightly higher one through his first 80 games. He was at 106.3, and Mahomes is at 105.7. So he's been in the game's best here probably the last five years certainly one of them and i think he's that he's the best player now ryan is in gurney on espn 1000 with carmen and yurko what's up ryan hey guys oh uh, yeah i'm coaching uh third fourth grade boys basketball and uh you know when we were kids like the cool thing was dunking like dunks like you wanted to dunk you lower your rim you had to get a chain net so 100%. people would rack your rim down that's right you know now the cool thing's jumpers like not even jumpers but deep jumpers threes I mean, it's a great point, Ryan. I mean, it's uh, that's well said. Yes, when we were kids, that's what y'all wanted to do. You, we, we, we wish we you dreamed oh, you could dunk. Yeah, you rim wish, records. We wanted to be it. rim records. And you'd lower the hoops, and right. you find the playgrounds with the low hoops, so that you could go and you could dunk. We wanted to be Michael. We wanted to be Dominique. Uh, yeah, it's uh, Doctor J. If David you're a little Thompson, bit older, the Skywalker. Sure. And now these kids are obsessed. And I have a 10-year-old, almost 11-year-old, and all these kids camps do, out at the three-point line. All, they are obsessed with Steph Curry and, 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 the, and the three. They are. I mean, dude, it's like when Steph goes on the road, you know, Michael used to want to warm up before people were in the stands very famously it was especially uh, maybe his first couple years it was different but but by the time michael had you know when when michael was really michael at york he would always warm up before you never got a chance to see michael go through pregame warm-ups right because it was always before the uh they let the stadium open yeah Yeah. let's crowd it i love that like steph's the biggest attraction when they go on the road and people want to get there early almost like seeing you know, batting practice because they want to see his pregame routine, which has become the stuff of legend at this point, all the way back out to half court. And then, he, you know, all the fun stuff that he does, like he wows the crowd with that. So that's what people want to see now. I mean, they, they, they really do. And Steph's pregame warmup has become the stuff of legend. And Boy, I tell you, it's another thing that the NBA needs to do. Yurk, I'm telling you, and no, these teams, they don't want to listen to us. We've told them, I've mapped it out for baseball. I've given it to the What, what should the NBA I, do? I mapped it out for baseball. They need to cut down the number of games because it will cut down on players skipping games. And, I, and I'm thinking about it because, you know, can you imagine if you were going to see Steph play and you found out, and he's pretty good about this, they don't rest him a ton unless he's legitimately hurt. But I was thinking about it yesterday, too, because Greeny had said something about Michael. And, look, I get errors are different. I, I, like, I don't want to be the old guy yelling at the clouds. Yes. But Greeny was making the point that you know Michael would treat a night, a Tuesday night in uh, Charlotte is the exact same as a right. Friday night in Madison Square Garden. Yes. He just would. Michael really, I think, believed Michael's that. Michael's a professional. Yeah, like it's your, he's the show. And like it's it's a total. And again, I don't want to be the like I, I I understand sort of why teams want to manage their players and try to keep them healthier. But the best way to do that, so that the fans still get the best experience, is just cutting down the damn season. It is way 
too long. You cut the season down. It's way too long. Not that you're going to have to refund anybody any money or anything like that. But if you cut the season down, you're not going to get increases. Okay? You mean players aren't going to get increases? No. Well, increases in the total pot. The total pool of revenue. You, you, You can't charge more and give them less. Do you understand what I'm saying? Yeah. You can't charge more and give them less. You give them less, you be, you're hoping you can charge them the same. Is you're that not, why this is so unrealistic? But you're not increasing the pool, right? You're not increasing the pool. I just think it would alleviate the problem. I was talking to a, a good friend of mine who, over the holidays, he was telling me how they were up in Milwaukee. And they were going to go see uh, the Bucks. happen to be playing. They were in Milwaukee for something else. Right. But the Bucks were playing a home game. It was like right after Christmas. And he was this close to buying tickets to take his boys. And, and he was going to spend I, a I mean, lot of money. York, I mean, I think it was like north of $200 a ticket. That's it's a lot three of money. Boys. Now you're yeah. buying four tickets at north of, right? Yeah, it's $1,200. Something came up where they didn't buy them. Giannis didn't play that night, and he's like, can you imagine? And I'm like, no, and this is what, like, we've had people call in and have complained about it for a long time. And, like, yeah. while I understand a team's stance at times of wanting to rest and load manage their players, and let's not forget who started this. Greg Popovich started it. Yes, he did. He was the originator of it. You could, Greg Popovich can say all he wants about being old school and this and that, doesn't like the way the game changed. Guess who's adapted as well as anybody with all those changing times? Greg Popovich has. Pop. They stink now. They're resetting. Pop. But Pop, yeah. they've, been, they've been resetting for a while. I know. Well, San listen, when has. You, at some point, when you stop getting the great players, you're, guess what happens? Yeah. I don't care how good of a coach you are in the NBA. But my point is it's a lot of else. We, we, like, people have been saying it for years. And they've been complaining about it. And while I get team stances, listening to my buddy tell the story, it resonates because I thought I would think the same thing. I'm like, yeah. Can you imagine if you spend twelve hundred bucks on tickets or eight hundred bucks just bucks just on tickets, and then Luca didn't play, or Giannis didn't play, or LeBron didn't play, or Joel Embiid didn't play? We went to a Sixers game, a Bulls Sixers game, a few years ago. Joel Embiid didn't play. Now we got free tickets. <laughs> So we weren't all that upset about it, Eric, remember? Yeah. But Joel Embiid didn't play. And we were like, oh, damn. We did get a chance to see the great Dario Sarge. I think we did see Dario Sarge play. We did. (laughs) But listening to him tell the story, like, I I, I get it. And he goes, I dodged a real bullet. He goes, I would have been irate. And I I wouldn't have blamed him. You'd have been crazy. And I've told you my plan for baseball. You want to talk about a season that's too way, way too damn long. It's baseball. They need to start their season on... Jackie Robinson Day, that's how you open your season, middle of April. You need to be done with your regular season by Labor Day weekend. Play your playoffs. Stop competing with the NFL for two months. You got no shot. But then Yurko can very easily say, well, wait a minute. You're talking about lots of money. Yep. You're talking about taking money away from players, potentially. You're talking about taking players away from owners, and owners don't want to hear that. No. So it's real easy for me to sit here and say, hey, the answer is truncate the seasons. I think it would help all sports, except football. Football doesn't have to worry about it. Hockey, basketball, and baseball, dare I say, would stand to gain. I don't know. Like Financially, how do you make it work? But I think the best thing for those sports, honestly... From a, for competitively, anything else, the best fan experience, I think, would be to cut their seasons short. 
I don't anticipate Isn't it the, the counter argument too, though, the NFL has by far the shortest season in terms of games played of course. and is the biggest it's, beast. Well, yeah, but there's our once a week, you know, as far as you know, you're going to get them. You get a lull. But can they build and, the pool you know, while truncating? There's they something can't to be said for less no. is more. Like you create <laughs> scarcity and that makes things attractive. Burko's pretty they're, convinced, but they're doing the opposite. The, the, the NFL's getting more games. They are getting more games, and they're getting more playoffs. Better be careful. It's, I mean, be careful. When yeah. we talk about baseball, one sixty-two. It's, come it's on. too many games. Nobody they, needs that. They, right. It was fine in nineteen nineteen and nineteen twenty-five and nineteen when there was nothing. Year it's too long. Six. And I know the season wasn't even that long back then. But. Year six of the rebuild for the San Antonio Spurs. Year six. They won the championship in 13-14. They still competed. They lost in the conference finals after going 61-21 and in the regular season. That's probably when they lost the guy. And they now they've been rebuilding ever since. They've they're bottoming <laughs> out this year. They are bottoming out. for Wem- They're right. going for Wembenyama. He's done it before. Yeah, but they're He's seventh, got 14 wins. Listen, 7th, 7th, 11th, 10th, 10th. Now they're 14th. He's got his sights on Wembenyama and his next uh, Tim Duncan. You yeah. know? Yeah. Justin is in LaGrange on ESPN 1000. Hey, Justin. How's it going, guys? What's up, man? How are you? Hey, man, I just got a comment about uh, lowering the season in the NBA sure. from a fan's perspective who don't make that much money. We lower the season. That means the tickets, like he just mentioned, they're scarce, which means that people are going to start using bots again. And people that like me who work all year just to go to two games, mm. you know, we won't be able to make it. So uh, mm. I understand that these guys, you know, we want to see them, but these guys get paid a lot of money. Let's not pay them the same amount of money to work less. You feel me? <laughs> let's, let's try to increase the season for that point. That's oh, all gosh. I wanted to say. All right, Justin. Thanks, man. No, there's the counter. There's the other side of it. Uh, Mike in Miami. What's up, Mike? What's going on, guys? No, I think it's kind of funny. Uh, back in December, uh, Mavs played Bucks on a Friday. They went to OT the very next day. They were at the United Center playing the Bulls. Uh, my girlfriend, my brother's girlfriend actually had uh, tickets for him. Of course, Luca gets ruled out, so they go. She spent all these tickets for his birthday. He didn't get to see him. Brutal. Fast forward, fast forward to January. I'm down in Miami, and I see a, I see this guy and his girlfriend, and they're wearing like Giannis jerseys, and obviously the Bucks were here. Mm-hmm. So I tell him, I was like, oh, it's a shame that Giannis was ruled out today. And they literally <laughs> give me this death stare, and they're like, what are you talking about? And I'm like, oh, yeah, he was just ruled out. And they were like, bro, we actually live in Chicago. This is the second time it happened to us. We went to go see Luca in December, and this happened. So they flew down here to Miami to catch the Bucks. And Giannis didn't play. That's brutal, man. I mean, and it happens. I don't know, you know, especially when you're dropping 1200 bucks. I Mike, thanks. I would hate it. McKnight at the Movies is coming up next. We'll talk to Todd Furman live in Vegas at about 135. It's Carmen and York. We'll be right back. Working from home? We're back in the office. Don't miss a minute of Carmen and Yurko. Just ask your smart speaker to play ESPN 1000. McKnight at the Movies. Connor McKnight recreates classic cinema on Carmen and Yurko. Only on ESPN Chicago. I was gone last Thursday, so uh, I missed McKnight at the movies. It sounds like I picked a good week to miss uh, a Knight's Tale. I, listen, I've seen Knight's Tale. I've never seen I it. I just couldn't pull it for the life of me. I mean, I've I, seen I think it. there's only been like two movies Connor's yeah. done that I just had, I was unfamiliar with. Yeah. And I haven't seen. And because I was so embarrassed at the fact that I had no idea, none whatsoever. I went Henry Winkler jumping the shark on it if we had to go to Night's Tale. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> if we run out of movies, 
That's no, what I said to myself. No, today, no, I, Charlie said I today's is exceptional. That, that was a uh, more of an area of frustration for myself. Yes. And I let that bleed out over the radio. Yes. yes. For that, I apologize. That's okay. Hopefully today I'm a little sharper than I usually am, and I can find a way to get the answer. It's a poor musician that blames his instrument. That's right. That's right. Yeah, blame me. We, what am uh, I blaming Connor for? I got to blame myself. Blame yourself. got to blame myself, or I'll blame Jesse. But Why not? You, yeah. Just yeah, out of the blue for you no reason You used to, like, all. blame Friedel, and now you yeah. just blame yeah. Jesse. Yeah. Yeah. Boy, that boy loved cheeseburgers, didn't he? He still loves them. Boy, that Nick Friedel loved himself a good cheeseburger. Uh, who doesn't love themselves a good cheeseburger? Mm. I mean, you know, I love myself a good cheeseburger. Who doesn't? I had a good cheeseburger last night, actually. Did you? I did. Where'd you go? At Devante, uh, by me. Oh, my, uh, right yeah, down the street Adam's there. Right on Adam's <laughs> there, right? <laughs> That's true for your house on Adam Street. They make a good burger. Devontae Adams. Italian, Italian place that makes a killer burger. We had a hanker. We had a craving. You like need, need to get some burgers. Yeah. I haven't had a burger in a while. But th- I love them. Uh, all right, let's play McKnight at the movies, Yerk. Let's do it. It is brought to you, as always, by the Village of Elmwood Park. They've got uh, restaurant weeks are happening in the city and in different suburbs. Yeah, I think Chicago's, I think, is this week, Where isn't are you it? taking me? Restaurant week is this week. I think I know Elmwood Park's doing theirs the week of the 16th, I believe it is. Love restaurant week. Today, we're going to give out a gift card to Inari Sushi. I have not been there. All the fabulous places in Elmwood Park that I love. I've never been to that one, so I'm going to have to check it out. Uh, restaurant Row, fantastic in Elmwood Park. And we thank them for sponsoring Reunited the Movies. You know the drill. When you think you know, uh, be the first correct caller, and you will win. 312-332-3776 is the number. You're going, are going to play along with you. Here we go. Part one, McKnight at the movies. Our scene opens on three men at a table. One on the left, two on the right. The lone man, uniformed, pours drinks. The other two watch stiffly as though they're filled with unease about their plight. They're talking big, important things. World history altering things. Some of the biggest stakes available at this time in the past. As he pours, there's a gleeful malevolence that seeps out of his character faster than the wine from the bottle. This guy has the upper hand, finally, and is really enjoying it. It's a villain's monologue, but with a twist coming. I got it. I'm writing it down so Yurko can see it. Can you you read my chicken scratch? Anybody in Twitch have it? I see it. Did I beat everybody? You beat everybody in Twitch. I think the Twitchers have it, too. Uh, It is a great movie. Um, All right, here is part two. A bit on our actors. This was a breakout role for the bad guy. One best supporting. He made a name for himself in another country, but this kicked off a huge role for him stateside. Sitting across from him is one of the biggest movie stars of his era. Top tier, working with a certain director for the first of two collaborations, but you can bet on more. The other guy, a sidekick in the movie, making his move from TV, both acting and writing. Early on, he was fire guy at his office. (laughs) <laughs> All right, and uh, finally, part three. I think we do. The, the lines have lit up now, uh, and I think we do have a winner. Part three, here you go. Back to the scene. There's a rhythm and purpose to the dialogue, as there always is in this director's film. The German taps to that tempo as well as anyone in the picture, and in like four different languages throughout. His conversation mates don't have much to say. They're terse. Of course, anyone would be with their hands tied behind their back. This villainous plot involves a deal. Our bad guy is still sussing out intelligence from our heroes and truly enjoying himself. He thinks he's getting away scot-free. When the movie came out, people wondered whether a film centered in revisionist history would work. Turns out if you made Pulp Fiction, you can get just about anything to work. Yes, you can. Uh, Aldo, the Apache, and the little man, right? Uh, Let's see. Is Viking Scott thought it was a few good men? 
Yeah. <laughs> Shake put Viking Scott on the screen just he wanted us to make fun of him, I think. No, it's not A Few Good it's Men. It's not A Few Good Men. Let's go to Matt in Frankfurt. Matt, what's the movie? Inglorious Bastards. You know it, my man. Hold on, Matt. We'll make sure. Uh, congrats on the win. We'll make sure you get the gift card to Inari Sushi in Elmwood Park. And here is the reveal. So, gentlemen, let's discuss the prospect of ending the war tonight. So the way I see it, since Hitler's death of possible rescue rests solely on my reaction, if I do nothing, it's as if I'm causing his death even more than yourselves. Wouldn't you agree? I guess so. How about you, you bitch? I guess so, too. Gentlemen, I have no intention of killing Hitler and killing Goebbels and killing Goering and killing Bormann, not to mention winning the war single-handedly for the Allies, only later to find myself standing before a Jewish tribunal. If you want to win the war tonight, we have to make a deal. What kind of deal? The kind you wouldn't have the authority to make. However, I'm sure this mission of yours has a commanding officer. A general. Mm, I'm betting for... OSS would be my guess. Ooh, that's a bingo! <laughs> Is that the way you say it? That's a bingo? You just say bingo. Uh, bingo! How fun! It's so great, man. I mean, it did turn. I mean, it, think about what that role did for Christoph Waltz. And the amazing yeah. thing is, Tarantino, I think, has said he almost didn't make the movie because he couldn't find the right person for that part. Right. And then somehow they stumbled onto Christoph Waltz, who was like a, scre- a stage actor, I think, in England and in Austria. And I mean, it's. His, his opening scene oh. where he's talking to the farmer. I mean, there's some intensity there. That scene, Yerk, is like, I can single it out as honestly one of, I think, like yeah. the greatest opening I mean, scenes in movie history. The brilliance of like, I mean, speaking, I, got, I know, right? I got goosebumps just thinking about it. The I giant mean, pipe. Oh, it's awesome. Yeah. Like everything about it. The, the, the like, speaking English with him so that they don't hear underneath the floorboards. Well, I, I asked mean, him if his wife understood English. It's just a bit. And he goes, no, she doesn't understand No, English. the daughters. The daughters. Yeah, and he the sends them, yeah, because he sends the daughters yeah. out and he speaks. I mean, and it's just like, it's he's such so wicked and villainous. It's incredible. To be like, this guy, this is the most evil person you could possibly it's, see. It's like, amazing. In a movie. It, it's it's an incredible intro to like him into that movie. You're right. I mean, it's like, it just, it punches you in the face. Yes. You're, you're so right. Tarantino's been really open about that. He thinks that's the best scene he's ever written. I don't, I wouldn't argue with him. I think it's it, it, one of the best scenes ever written, period. It's right up there. And he's written a lot of great ones. We need Tarantino to make another movie. I was venting about this the other day. It's going to be ten. Star Trek. It's Pulp Fiction in Space. He's doing a Star Trek movie that he said is going to be Pulp Fiction in Space. I don't know what that means. Pulp Fiction in space. I don't know either, but it's Tarantino. Tarantino don't man. lose me now. I do mean, what I, you want. Yeah. No, let him do what he wants. I, I know. He's a genius. Books, I'm pretty I, sure. I, I think he wants to do number 10 and then just be like an author. Really? You re- if you read the Once Upon a Time in Hollywood novel, no, it's, never. it's different than the movie and it is fantastic. He wrote it. It's great. I didn't know that. He wrote, uh, I didn't even realize he wrote a book about it. He that. wrote a novel and it's a little different than the movie and it's great. I like everything the guy's ever done. I mean, I could nitpick a few, you know, a few things maybe like, um, I, I don't know. Just, I, I don't think he's made a bad movie. 
I know not everybody liked Hateful Eight. I don't mind it. It's probably a little I too long. It. I liked it. I liked though. it, yeah. Probably a little long. You but- can watch it as a four-part thing on Netflix, too. Oh, you can? So, yeah, that made it easier, at least for me, to digest. It made it more palatable for you? I, I just- For your cinematic pleasures? Yes. He's got a way of, like, I mean, not only is he a brilliant writer... And technically, he's very good with the way he directs his movies. But he's got a way of just bringing out the best in, like, every actor that's ever worked for him. I mean, think about it. Like, it's just, I don't know. I don't I don't think he's really made a bad movie. So Pulp Fiction in Space sounds weird to me. But you're right, Shay. He's, I love the guy. He's probably my favorite director. And so, okay, make Pulp Fiction in Space. There's not going to be a Jules, is there? <laughs> They're going to be. Uh, you can't get a royale with cheese and I space. I don't. I don't know what it means, but I, I like the idea of making maybe a sci-fi movie. Coming up, we're going to go out to Vegas and we'll talk to our buddy Todd Furman. Let's take a look at some early props and some early line movement. York for Super Bowl Fifty Seven. We're going to do that coming up next. Zoning out on that Zoom meeting. Zoom, 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 Zoom. Find out what Carmen and Yurko were talking about. Tell your smart speaker to play ESPN One Thousand. Oh, we are winding down on the NFL season, Dirk. It's so much fun. One game left. uh, Two visits with Todd Furman left today and next week. Then we'll bug him again maybe around March Madness. He's always good to us. But a regular contributor uh, year after year on the Carmen and Yurko show. He's one of the best in the business. Make sure you listen to the podcast, the Bet the Board pod. Wherever you get your podcasts, it's Todd and Payne Insider, and the guys do an outstanding job. And he joins us now live in Vegas on ESPN 1000 and the ESPN Chicago app. I know uh, the amount of work you guys put in to the football season, college and pro. So we love football, but uh, are you looking forward to catching your breath a little bit, I guess, in a couple of weeks, Todd? It's always a little bit bittersweet because you're right, Carm. You put your blood, sweat, and tears into getting ready for the draft, cultivating your numbers, your roster projections, and everything else during the spring and summer. But unlike final exams where you can be done with it once it's dead and buried, this you obviously try and get to the finish line, be as profitable as you can. Take a little bit of a respite, and you're right back on the horse trying to analyze spring practices across the country with 130 FBS teams. So how much uh, digging in? I mean, I know you guys get after it pretty quickly. With the week, uh, you know, the two-week break, though, how much have you already dug into this game, and have you already started to identify, uh, I don't know, some things that you like or some areas where, you know, you're maybe surprised by the way the market has moved and things like that? Identify some props always. There are a bunch of numbers that are driven purely by math that we'll look to try and bet on the open because we know books typically don't price them the right way right out of the gates. But I'm not nearly as far along with some of the player numbers uh, as I'd like to be. Spent some time this week trying to preview the NASCAR season uh, and make sure everything for the NHL was buttoned up as well, as you guys know all too well. So as you look at the numbers, though, I think it's been fascinating to watch the line move, and I'm sure you guys have talked about it you know, throughout the course of the week. When Kansas City actually opened a two-and-a-half-point favorite at some prominent shops out here in the desert, You saw Philadelphia move as far as three offshore before there was a little bit of buyback. And since then, we've seen the number kind of settle with Philadelphia in that one, one and a half range. You look at the Chiefs injury report today. I didn't expect any of their key skill guys to be out there knowing that they were going to err on the side of caution. So once you begin to identify the team you like, the way you want to bet the total, that's when the props start to 
provide a little bit more clarity. Uh, but we talk about it until we're blue in the face. We're going to spend most of our time trying to identify unders more so than we will be betting for human achievement. Yeah, it's uh, smart. Uh, how about the total in the game itself at 50.5? Some money we've seen uh, on the over here because that price did open up a little bit shorter, didn't it? Uh, it opened actually at 51, some books, oh, 49 okay. and a half at others, and we're okay. kind of sitting in that no man's land now, although 51, an extremely key number, so I'm curious to see if the total pushes further out to 51 and a half there. For me, it's a game where I look at both offenses and think they can have distinct advantages against their defensive counterparts, but I'm also not sure I'm running to bet the game over the total before it kicks off because we've seen a lot of the big games typically start slow and accelerate as things get going, and that kind of lends itself to why professional bettors oftentimes will look to bet the second half as the highest-scoring half, minus a half up to minus $1.30, minus $1.40 over the first half. But when you look at Kansas City, they should be able to throw against a Philadelphia defense that hasn't really been tested by the kind of aerial attack they're going to face here. And on the flip side, Kansas City's run defense, well, this is going to be a jolt to their system as well, dealing with Miles Sanders, Kenneth Gainwell, uh, Boston Scott, and, of course, Jalen Hurts with a much healthier shoulder than we've seen through the first two playoff games. I wish I was on the uh, I, I, I was on the under in Jalen Hurts' uh, rush prop last week, and then uh, it looked good, Todd, all the way up until that last scoring drive, that last touchdown drive in the third quarter where I think he had more rushes on that drive than he did the entire freaking game on all the other drives combined. was honestly beyond surprising to see that, knowing that the game had looked like it was already dead and buried and you're going to risk your starting quarterback out there dropping his shoulder in that kind of situation. But apparently Nick Sirianni had a better idea of exactly how healthy Jalen Hurts was. And it's always fascinating when you look at a game where coaches have two weeks to prepare, both show some aggressive tendencies, how much they'll get out of their comfort zone to try and open up the playbook a little bit more um, to find that big splash play when it avails itself. So you don't think this thing's going to shift back to where the Chiefs are a favorite at any point, do you? I can see a scenario where it gets back to pick them. Uh, as Philadelphia, his money has already come into the market. We saw a couple of books say, hey, look, a lot of the big bets they took early on were all on Philly. I talked to some of my guys. They grabbed Philadelphia as an underdog uh, and kind of mm-hmm. asked them, hey, do you think this is going to be your true position? And the general sentiment was, well, we'll figure that out when the time comes mm-hmm. because you ain't going to go broke in this business taking Philly plus one and a half, taking the Chiefs plus two and a half, and then figuring out exactly where you want to try and align yourself. So if Kansas City gets their skill position guys healthy, and we see Miko Hardman, Juju Smith-Schuster, Legereus Sneed, everybody as full participants next week. I can see where this game moves back to pick them, and I think it just speaks to how competitive these two teams have been all season long, and the fact, in a rare occurrence, that we're going to see the two best teams in the National Football League, in my opinion, on full display. What is a Super Bowl weekend like in Vegas normally? Normally, uh, it starts to ratchet up uh, on Thursday afternoon. You'll see folks coming in for the long weekend. Uh, It's interesting to see some of the betting trends as well, because when I was behind the counter at Caesars without the apps and everything else, we would typically do 80 to 90% of our betting handle beginning Saturday morning up until Sunday. And that, of course, excludes special arrangements made with players that may want to bet seven figures earlier in the week. But it's changed a little bit uh, as there are other spots where people can take advantage of legalized sports betting. Vegas still remains the mecca. The Super Bowl parties are second to none. Uh, But I'd be lying if I said I had any expectations for what it was going to be like next year when the entire NFL world converges on Vegas with legalized sports betting and everything around the event. Is the uh, handle similar to what it always has been, or is it kind of dented the handle? 
You know what? You'd think, Yerk, that it would dent the handle, but the reality of it is we've seen these numbers continue to tick up. I mean, just last year when you were looking at the COVID restrictions being removed, you did $180 million in handle statewide. And to put that in comparison to 2019 when it was the Patriots and Rams, that was $146 million. So I think when people get a chance to whet their appetite, sports betting everywhere, it's the whole Oh, age-old cliche, rising tides raise all ships, and that's kind of what we're yeah. seeing in Nevada. I'd love to see us top $200 million in handle. Uh, I'm not quite sure we're ready to see a 10% jump, though, year over year. Mm-hmm. Uh, early in the season, start of the season, uh, the Eagles, I, if I'm remembering correctly, somewhere around the 20, 22, 25 to 1 range. Uh, is that sound about right, Todd? Is that where they were? Yep, uh, depending on what shop, uh, I saw numbers as low as 18 to 1, upwards of 25. So that was pretty much the range there. What was interesting about the Eagles is they were one of the more popular positions from pro bettors in terms of their yes-no price to make the playoffs. It was a number that opened up right around minus $1.20, and I think some shops closed north of $2, given the strength of schedule. And that's kind of played out all season long, which obviously leads to some reservations. When you go up and down that resume, who have the Eagles beaten this year? I think that's the biggest question that'll get answered. You look at just some of the quarterbacks they face down the stretch, and when you play the 31st-ranked strength of schedule, you come out of the NFC. Not quite sure they've answered the bell yet, uh, but they've done so in dominant fashion, which you kind of want to see when you take on inferior opponents. I mean, they really haven't had to break a sweat much. It isn't. It, like, how does that sort of, if at all, start to factor into the handicap? I mean, I know strength of schedule obviously does, but like when you think about how... I, I don't like saying easy necessarily, but look at their first two playoff games for crying out loud in some of those circumstances, right? I mean, like they really have barely broken a sweat here. If it was college football, it would factor a lot more into some of the discussion and trying to break it down. We know the level of separation between Team 1 and Team 32 in the NFL is a lot narrower margin. But you go through, and if you're trying to figure out a resume-defining win for Philadelphia, where does it come? Is it November 27th when you beat the Green Bay Packers at home? Is it Week 1 when you knock off the Detroit Lions before Detroit really started to figure things out? Or is it a win you know, before Dallas going into the bye? So there are so many questions here that I think to get addressed, and that's probably why you want to focus a little bit more on the X's and O's, figuring out where these teams have advantages against one another. And I think the one area that we're all going to watch extremely closely is can Kansas City keep Patrick Mahomes protected? Because Philadelphia is able to get after the quarterback better than any team in the league. They generate pressure, but more importantly, they translate that into sacks. And you have two very talented cover corners on the outside in Darius Slay and James Bradbury that can pose some matchup problems if Kansas City's receivers aren't able to get off the line of scrimmage. Uh, who is the favorite for the NBA uh, MVP right now? Is Joel Embiid in most shots? Is Embiid the favorite now, or is it Jokic? It's a fascinating NBA MVP race, I think. You can make a case for a lot of guys, Todd. It's still Jokic, and when you look at some of the metrics that that he's put forth, I mean, it's pretty wild how much different Denver is when he's on the court than when he's not. But the price is narrowed. I mean, you're looking at Nikola Jokic right around even money. Joel Embiid has seen his odds cut Mm. really in half down to two to one. And then you start to get into an interesting group of obviously Luka Doncic, Jason Tatum, Giannis, John Morant. The one player that did take some money, and I think it was more speculative than anything else, you had books out here actually drop LeBron James all the way to 150 to 1 when the Lakers were struggling. His number has been kind of cut 
substantially now, 40, 45 to 1 mm. out there. I'm not sure LeBron will have enough, but it would make things interesting if this Lakers team got hot, mm-hmm. found their way into the playoffs, and it was almost that lifetime achievement award knowing all the records he's going to break this season. Yeah, we were talking about him earlier. I mean, he's still averaging over 30 a game. He's going to break uh, Kareem's record here in the next handful of games. Um, but the only thing about Jokic that I keep reminding everybody uh, is that it does feel like voter fatigue is real with these awards sometimes, Todd. And uh, I mean, Michael never won three in a row for crying out loud. The last guy to do it was Larry Bird, and then we were kids in the mid '80s. The last time anybody won three in a row, uh, even if this is the best season he's having, and metrically there's a huge difference. I mean, all that is true, but you do wonder about voter fatigue setting in with the, the, a guy, you know, potentially winning it three straight years. It definitely has to factor into the calculation you're making when you're betting these awards that are voted on. You know, how can you kind of put yourself in the heads of some of these voters? And there are a number of websites out there, The Athletic, that does a great straw poll where they'll Mm. talk to some of the beat writers that can be indicative of kind of how some of those voting tendencies will be. So for Nikola Jokic to win the award for a third straight season, I think he's got to be above and beyond a dominant choice there. Because if you do have a player like Joel Embiid where people go, you know what, they're kind of close, but he's never won it before. You know, I want to go with a fresh face winning the award. It's a little bit different than what you've grown accustomed to in the NHL when voters are talking about the Hart Trophy and they typically default to overall point production. Mm. And it's black and white where they go, you know what? Yes, Connor McDavid has won it in the past, but when he beats the rest of the league by 30 or 40 points, we'd be foolish to give it to anybody else. Yeah, great, great, great call. All right, buddy, good stuff. We'll uh, dive deep into the game a little bit more next week. And like you said, it'll be, you know, we'll know more about the injury situation, everything like that. So we look forward to it uh, and have a great weekend, okay? Always a pleasure, gentlemen. Good luck with all your homework, and hopefully we'll have plenty of prop bets to share same time next week when we break down the game in its entirety. Sounds good, buddy. There's right, Todd bud. Furman, at Todd Furman on Twitter. Check out the podcast that he does with Payne Insider. It's the Bet the Board podcast wherever you get your pods. I believe Russell, I'm trying to double-check here real quick on the fly. Here. I think it's Russell, Wilt, and uh, Bill Russell, not Russell Westbrook. Uh, Bill Russell, Wilt, and um, Larry Bird. The only three players to ever win three straight NBA MVP awards. Uh, Russell, of course, did it in the 60s. So did Wilt. And then Larry Bird did it in the 80s. 84, 85, 86. It's the last time. So, and Michael never won three in a row. He could have won it every year. Never did. Jokic, could he do it a third straight time? Would that be something, man? A second round pick, Yerk. And he's still the favorite. I thought maybe Embiid had uh, had jumped him, but he's down yeah. two to one. And Todd just said mostly Jokic, still at, at about even money. But I think you can make a really good case for like four or five different players in the NBA. If that Bulls year. move gets pulled off, they get Levine. Oh, that be that helps him. And LeBron. That, if he got on LeBron before that, like if you got on it now at yeah, forty-five to one right, for a lifetime achievement award, that's interesting, right? Well, I mean, you've got ten days to make a decision on it. Would it really be a lifetime achievement award? LeBron's won four MVPs. No, it would be a lifetime achievement award. Yes, I mean for this one, this one specifically. Is that this, what? Yeah. Really? Yeah. If they got hot, they made a rise in the playoffs and they made things happen. Yes. You're you're talking me into uh, a, like think, a, a twenty five dollar wager on LeBron I'm, I'm, at forty five myself one. into one too. I, I mean, right? I think I think Yerko's doing it. And it's not like fifty bucks is going to kill us. Of course, no. no. I mean, put fifty bucks on it at forty five to one. Uh, you got me thinking now, Yerk. Crosstalk coming up in 12 minutes. We'll be right back. You're listening to Carmen and Yerko 
If you miss something, get the podcast on the ESPN Chicago app. This is Chicago's home for sports. ESPN Chicago. I think that the Patriots, with this field position, you have to just run the clock out. You have to play for overtime now. I don't think you want to force anything here. You don't want to do anything stupid because you have no timeouts and you're backed up. Brady's in the shotgun, and he's going to throw it. Nothing stupid. Gets it up to J.R. Redmond. Pass complete. Gets out to the 21. Now I would, you know, I don't, I don't agree with what the Patriots are doing right here. I would, I would, I, I would play for overtime. If I had good field position, I wouldn't. But in this field position, I would play for overtime. Now, just a minute. They have no timeouts left. Brady again throws. That's the Redmond again. Move the sticks, but that doesn't stop the clock. Well, Tom Brady, he wants to get him lined up so he can just throw the ball down and stop the clock as he did right there. This guy, seconds left. This guy is really cool, though. I mean, I, I've been impressed watching Tom Brady on film and you know, in television games and so on. But the way he's playing this game today, he has been very, very impressive with his calmness. There's Brady. Troy Brown and he gets out of bounds and they might be in Vinatieri's range with 21 seconds left. This this is amazing. This is, is something and and I'll admit that as a as a coach and as an analyst, I don't think they should have done. But they had the guts. They have a young quarterback and they did it. They were backed up. They were inside their own 20. They had no timeouts left and they're calling these plays and and not only calling these plays but making these plays. Here comes the blitz and here's Brady. He dumps it to Wiggins down to the 30, and now no question about it, they are in range, but they gotta hurry. And this this has been a year about Vinatieri and, and making some great kicks against the Raiders. Two of the greatest kicks that I've ever seen in my life. Here comes one of greater importance if he makes it. And it's right down the pipe. Adam Vinatieri. And the Patriots have won Super Bowl 36. Unbelievable. That's the way you should win a Super Bowl. How great was that? I heard Waddle and Sylvie play that yesterday. That trip down memory lane for so many reasons, Yerk. It was a great game, obviously. The Rams were a, I want to say, a 14-point favorite. Yeah, I'm just looking at the box right now. The Rams were a 14-point favorite. In that game, uh, it's great to hear Summerall and Madden on that call. Oh, yeah, oh, yeah. John, like, saying, I-, I thought this was a mistake. Hey, this is yeah. incredible. Yeah. I wouldn't have done it, but oh, my God. Play it, for overtime. It, it That's was, what he wanted. It was so enjoyable to listen to that whole thing when I heard them play it. I told Charlie, I said, we got to play that. It was. I'm in the car listening yesterday. and You, you remember know, just, how the game started? It started with uh, Troy uh, Brown with a, a pick. Isn't no, that interception, right, yeah, but it wasn't Troy. It was Ty Law. Wasn't it Ty Law that had Not the Troy Brown. That's, excuse me, Ty Law. Ty Law with the return. interception return for a touchdown. Ty Law picked Warner. Was it pick six, right? Yeah, we were in Hawaii. You guys were in Hawaii? We went to New Orleans for, for the Super Bowl week, right? Then we flew to St. Louis, oh, and from St. Louis we flew to Hawaii. Why did you fly to St. Louis? It was a connector. Oh, you had I to fly from know. New Orleans to St. Yeah. Louis Hawaii for the Pro Bowl. I don't know. We went out to Hawaii. We were watching it at the Waikiki. Oh, is that right? Yeah. 
in Waikiki at the Hilton Hawaiian Village, where that's where we watched the game. There were so many incredible things listening back to that. And like Waddle and Sylvie's talked about it yesterday. First of all, you think about how the, the, the career the guy had, his first Super Bowl Madden is like in his yeah. prime. That's how long ago it was, right. you know? Madden, like, saying, I wouldn't have done it, but this is pretty awesome. And like you said, having, like, I just love thinking back. This is what I love about sports a lot, too. And you think back to what was going through their minds on that sideline. And, like, for Belichick to say, F it, like, we're going to go for it. Let's go, yeah. I don't know how many coaches would have, especially back then when you weren't really in much of an analytic age as much, and it was much more conservative and play it safe. And like John said, play for I I always disagree with you. Well, Well, when it comes to analytics, Carm, just because you know about the analytics now and just because they make them public and there's ways for you to access it now doesn't mean those coaches weren't coaching by numbers and statistics. When I was in college, we were going by statistics. But don't you think there was a more conservative nature maybe to the game back then? Like you heard Madden talking about it. I think he had enough time. Madden's nature was to be a little bit more conservative. Belichick may have been a little more aggressive and decided we've got enough timeouts. We got something in our offense. We're going to be able to move this thing. Maybe when they run the two-minute drills during the course of the year, they're phenomenal at what they do in two-minute drills. And yeah. they decided and they, they were going to go, go at it. <laughs> we're going to go. But the, the thought that there was no numbers being I utilized mean, I know. You're in right. football for an extended period of time is, to me, the, the only thing that's surprising. It's more available now yeah. for everybody. And so you had to go with the people that have started creating the numbers in the analytics. Um those guys that have created it. Well, they were doing it long before it was popular. Yeah. And then they brought it to the masses, and the masses have embraced it. Usually you introduce mass to pe- uh, I mean, you introduce math to people that don't understand it, and all you do is confuse the hell out of it. Well, they've put it, and they've given you ratings, and they've given you numbers that are easily digestible. You don't want to know how they make the sausage. No, you just I know. Wanna, I just want to eat sausage. You just want to know, <laughs> hey, what's the final number, and how can I use that to assess it? I don't want to know how you got to the final number because it's too damn difficult sometimes to comprehend right, how you yeah. got to the final number. Just give me a final number yeah. and tell me what it means in reference to this team. Yeah, That's why people like the numbers now. But back then, we had to create the numbers and had to find out how the numbers were going to work for us. Uh, well, it, it, at the end of the day, it was uh, They went fun, for it and they got it. Yeah, they went and they got it. Yeah. It was a fun listen back, and right. I wanted to play it. Uh, and just it, It's always great when you get to hear Madden and Summerall, too. They were so good for so many years together. And that was Brady's first. Uh, it was a long, long, long time ago. Crosstalk coming up next with Waddle and Sylvie. The Good Kid has the final word, brought to you by Bath Planet. Carmen and Yurko present today's final word. Because you had to be a big shot. Today's final word word. on Carmen and Yuriko. Well, not me. I've eaten chicken. I've seen him eating. Yeah, I know. Yeah, you're disgusting. Yeah. Well, there's particles in the air. I'm old school.